Hi, this is Cliff Click, and welcome to today's podcast. Today I'm going to step you through a process, a pretty standard process I do for cleaning up somebody else's real code. This is a tech debt elimination in preparation for doing some sort of more interesting work on somebody's code. So very common for me, I'm in a consulting job. I'm asked by, I've asked somebody else who's very familiar with the project to do a very narrow specific job and I'm interfacing some other large piece of code I have in hand with you know their output of their work and in particular in this case I'm asking them to read via an internal API a bunch of data via Google protobufs and and hand me back an array of Java objects um, and the you know we're indexing the data uh, via a nanosecond time range. So I'm going to hand the guy a nanosecond based time range, a, a start and an end time, and I'm going to get back an array of Java objects. That's that's the goal here. So it turns out that there is a, a bug in the API. And I cannot the, the person I'm asking to do this job cannot ask for more than 500 records at a single nanosecond of time. And so if there's more than 500 at a same nanosecond, you just simply can't get them. Um, and so at the moment, we're going to work around this. We report this bug to the right places, and then we're going to work around it by saying, uh, well, we have to have a loop. We're going to get 500 records at a shot. We're paging them in, obviously. But at a single nano in time, um, you have to ask again for more records in case you didn't get them all if you capped out at the 500. So you know, you're going to have a, a, an outer loop to page. You're going to have an inner loop to handle more calls at the same, uh, same nanosecond time range. Some deduplication has to happen because if you got some of the records at a particular nano and then you asked again at the same nano and you got another you know, 200 more, um, you have an over-reporting and you have to clean it up. Okay, in practice, uh, you know, ties in the nanosecond range are rare, but they happen. So with any given, you know, if I ask for a million records, I clearly get a tiny fraction of ties at nanoseconds, say, you know, 1% or less. Um, but also periodically there are bugs in the data where people have rounded time off to milliseconds. And then you easily get way more than 500, you get 10,000 in a row. And these are places where we're going to stop and say, you know, we have an error in the API until we get this fixed, we can't get at that data. Yeah, fine. So I hand the guy off this job and wait. He goes and he comes back sometime later and the code looks in my eye just excessively complicated and large it's about 200 lines of code okay 200 lines I thought well it's bigger bigger than I'd expect and a little timing it's hugely slow and I see a lot of junk exception handlers which is a big red code smell on my face so I decide I'm gonna do some cleanup of this code and, and do some profiling then decide if there's further speed optimizations need to happen. So it's clearly slow because I just do the standard poor man's profiling of I ran it and it took a long time and I did a, you know, why is this slow? And I broke in the debugger and I'm breaking always in the middle of this code to go get this data. Suddenly, you know, I've profiled five or 10 spots. It's a lousy man's profiler, but it's clear that there's a giant slowdown there. Okay. So I look at the code and it's clearly complicated and I want to do some changes to clean it up and some performance work if necessary, right? So the first step I'm going to do is I'm going to start removing complexity that's in there for no good reason. It's just junk complexity and the idea here is to simplify the code to the point where you can understand it and you can do sort of higher level operations. Very common that when you first handed a piece of code, you don't understand what's going on. There's a lot of stuff that looks bad to your eye and actually probably is. Trust your gut here. Maybe later you discover there was some horrible thing going on that had to be this way, but probably not. Okay, so first thing I observe is there's a lot of conversion going on between nanosecond timestamps from longs to strings and back. And a couple big integer math pieces thrown in. 
that just looks like code smells. Why did you have to convert one to the other to the other to one? And I keep looking at the conversions. It's really back and forth and back and forth through four or five layers. Okay. So first thing I observe is then there's nothing happening to the conversions. It's just really a flip from left to right. And then the other thing I observe is that the big integer math is only used to add plus one. So, okay, wait a second. Why are you adding plus one to a nanosecond time? Um, okay, so this is a little red flag. Go do a quick check here. Nanoseconds since the Unix epoch won't overflow for another like 40 or 50 years, like a long time from now, maybe 100. I don't know. So it's like it's a huge amount of time from now. So there's really no point to do big integer math plus one. But if you were overflowing on a long and you did big integer, you just convert it right back to a long so you didn't save anything. You overflowed anyhow. So remove the big integer, remove all the conversions, just do everything to longs. The API call has a string URL. That's the one time you need a string out of a long. If you overflowed in here anywhere, you were dead anyhow, up and down the stack. So get rid of all the conversions. It's just longs. That's end of step one. Okay, the next thing that happened here is I wanted, I looked and saw another code complexity, code smell, uh, which was semantic only, and that there was a lot of gratuitous name changes. Sometimes the arguments were called start TS or NTS. Sometimes they're called min and max TS. They're all nanoseconds, but there's no nanoseconds in the TS. And milliseconds are really common in the Java coding land, and there's a lot of milliseconds nearby. So, you know, maybe we don't want to do name changes, and maybe we want to say nanos. And some points, some of the code is using exclusive end times, and some are using inclusive end times. Okay, big code smell on semantics here. Let's unify all this. So I just renamed everything to start and end nanos, and had comments that these are exclusive times. The API calls using max TS, that's an inclusive time. Big comment, this is inclusive. Everyone else is exclusive. There's one plus one point in the API call. Everyone else just does a standard, like zero based, end is not included, you know, start and length kind of start and end time thing. Greatly simplifies, you know, the thinking through the code. The next thing I looked at is all those junk exception handlers. And then I start, you know, step back and thought, what can I do here usefully with an exception handling? And the answer comes back pretty much nothing. It has to be handled at a higher level. You reached out to some database and you got an error somewhere along the line. Your choices are retry or fail. And, and how often do you retry before you give it up? And is there a reason that a retry would actually succeed? And the answer comes back, no, it should work the first go around or you just screwed the pooch already. There's a lot of security issues in place here. There's a lot of certificates and LDAPs and whatever. And if those things are not set up right, no amount of repeats are ever gonna work. So, you know, you can't do anything useful here you have to hand this exception back to the user visible handler, which is gonna to go to the GUI and up pop some sort of warning or to the command line logging, say, hey, your LDAP wasn't set up, you had no chance of getting anything to work or whatever it's gonna be. No point in doing any exception handling here. So then I look at what the handlers that he had in place were doing. Nearly all of them were of the form of catch and rethrow. So they still threw the same exception except actually they threw plain old capital E exception so the upper levels didn't have to have anything but a plain capital E exception handler. And they added a unique string message, but they lost the original stack trace and they just converted the original uh, Java typed exception into a string form of it when they passed it along. Nothing useful was being done there. There was no handling that was productive there. Right? And you want those stack traces. That's how you debug later. Just catch and replace with a string is useless. Just catch and rethrow is useless. And if you do try to catch an exception, 
you've added some code that you're going to, you know, you're expected to do some cleanup here. You need to have a JUnit test. And of course, there were none here because the purpose of the catch is to do some recovery. And actually, almost always, recovery is very semantically subtle. There are a lot of half-baked things that got broken when you threw the exception. They have to get thrown out or cleaned up or whatever. So the recovery is always difficult to get right. And you have to have some serious testing to make that work. So don't bother unless you know you have some serious plan in mind and some testing about that serious plan. So I yanked all the local handlers. And I tried even to narrow the classes of the throws clauses, but some low-level LDAP handlers are just going to throw plain old capital E exception. And I didn't see any use in trying to up-level those to some other thing, like an IO exception or something. Um, everyone else was already handling at a high-level plain old exception because they were getting handled plain old exceptions. So no internal try-catch clauses anymore throughout the, the lines of code here. High-level, you know, the, the command line version of the GUI version gets a plain old exception, which they're going to do what they're going to do, but they're always going to report the stack trace. So there's some chance you can sort out what the hell broke there, right? So this cleaned up a lot of code already. Next step is I looked at the API handler, and it's returning a, a, a rest status. You know, you get a 200 or a 404, whatever you're going to get, and a response message, and, and reads a, 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 and if it's all good, it reads an input stream and converts it to a byte array output stream because a stream because it's later going to get the array out. It's going to get array data. Fine. Okay. First observation is this is basically a tagged union. It wasn't called it. There's no comments that way. But for all intents and purposes, it's a tagged union. Um, you're either going to get a 200 uh, and a, a byte array output stream, or you're going to get not a 200 and an exciting error message. But there's nothing else going on but a tag union here, although the struct had final fields and had accessors and getters and putters and blah, blah, blah. It's just a freaking tag union. So then I look at the, the people who get the result of this tag union. Every one of them, and there's two, test for 200 and throw. That's all they do, test for 200 and throw. Because they can't do anything useful if the API fails. The same reason all the other exceptions can't do anything useful. This is not the place to handle a failure. So just inline the, the test for 200 and throw into the API caller. And then it returns a tag union with only a 200 in the tag and no other value. Okay, so now the callers don't need to catch a 200 because it's only a 200. They can just take a byte array stream directly, get rid of the tag union, return byte array stream directly. That's the simplicity. No reason for a tag union unless some caller is going to pass along the pass or failness and do something. But in this case, all the callers immediately failed out within a throw. So no point in actually trying to, to make a tag union out of it. The, tag, the, the, the early throw reports the same exact information and the same exact stack traces and the response messages, everything else, fine. So API caller, get rid of the tag union, just returns a byte array output stream. So then I look at that byte array output stream. Well, it's an input stream that gets copied to a byte array output stream by the classic Java pre-9, you know, the eight and below, where you just do a freaking loop over it, and hands it to a protobuf reader. Okay, can protobuf reader, you know, not take an input stream directly? It needs an, a byte array? No, of course it takes an input stream directly. In fact, it probably is just as efficient to read from an input stream as the loop that's reading, you know, a thousand bytes at a time and copying it to a byte array and then handing it to a protobuf as a byte array. There's no point to this unless a speed optimization comes in and says it's faster that way. That's like a totally premature optimization pass. Drop it. Hand the input stream directly to a protobuf. Get rid of the copy to byte array output stream. Another big old pile of code gets removed. Okay, next there's a code smell, but it's project specific. It's not a general purpose code smell. There's a bunch of filtering going on on the returned records to remove ones that are known not to be useful in this context. But the larger project is expecting to take data from a huge variety of sources 
and passes it through a huge variety of filters when the filters have to be carefully maintained by the data science team, they have to be version controlled for legal reasons, you have to, go to replay periods in the past and you have to re-filter things from five years ago. There is an official filter path where the filters are carefully maintained. The official filter path is highly optimized, heck a lot faster than what was going on here. It's parallel, it's concurrent, it's distributed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Remove these filters here, put them in the version controlled filter elsewhere, and eh, remove like 10 lines of code, but you know, we're, we're already getting pretty small here. Things look a lot better. Okay, at this point, the code has shrunk a lot. It's like more, more than half as small as it used to be. And I'm looking at the deduplication step that's in place, and I finally get to do a bit of higher level thinking. Up to now, I've all been doing simple locally semantics preserving changes. I am removing junk exception handlers that don't do anything except catch and rethrow, and renaming names, and removing useless conversions from string to long, string to long, string to long. Really, I'm doing very simplistic changes. Now I finally can do a bigger picture change. And this is the wisdom of, of doing all these prior cleanup steps. It's so you can get to the point where you can see the big picture and you can do a bigger picture cleanup. And that's where you get the bigger gains in you know, tech data elimination here. It, it, it looks like the name change and the string along, the string along was kind of a junkie. It wasn't performance an issue. Why did I bother? It was to make the code simple enough that I can understand the big picture that I can do a big picture change. Having so that that's the wisdom. The cleanup steps might look useless to a junior engineer, but they're there so you can reach a spot where you can now understand a big picture change. Mm, okay, moving on. Now, I can do a big picture change. What is it? Well, the existing code was looking for a full 500 count return. If you're less than 500, you hit the end of the records of your spread and you're done. Um, but if you had a full 500, it could be that you didn't get all the records at a particular nanosecond, and you're going to have to recall at the same nanosecond, get the rest of the records, and that meant you got double sets of records at the same nanosecond. And so they were all joined together, and then dupes were getting removed, and the dupe code was looking suspiciously in squared. So I didn't want to stare anymore at, at trying to optimize the dedupe code. I just wanted to optimize it at a higher level. There's already a paging read until you get all loop involved, but it gets, because you only get 500 a shot. So every time I read a new batch, if the last thing, if it's a full 500, if the last nano is, is you know, if, if whatever the last nano is, those records at that nanosecond point in time, you're going to have to reread anyhow. So drop all the records you just got at the last nanosecond, and then rerun at that nanosecond. And if you get a full 500, you've got the API buy. If you've got less than 500, you, you, you're done and you could just join them all together. So simply put, um, there's now a one line backwards loop that grabbed the last nano and repeated until it saw a change in the nano time. And that was just took an array list and cut the length down on the array list to drop the remaining elements and then rerun re the loop, the, the main reloop, which is gonna rerun at that same nanosecond and append those new records right onto the array list. So remove the dedupe logic to remove the n squared thing with a one line backwards scan. Okay, what happened here in the end? Well, the code size shrank to about 50 lines, so a 4x reduction in code size. It's pretty common when I get after a piece of code. The exception handling is very clean and obvious. It can't be done here, so don't do it. The callers already have to handle plain exception. Now they get the full stack trace and the full exception object class type to do something with. Um, and mostly they're going to report and tell the user, hey, you've got a, a, a you know a certificate key fail, you got an LDAP key fail, you got some sort of network pass, you got IO port fail, whatever it's going to be. And then, you know, one of my original goals here was to do some speed up testing, was to do some speed up, and now I'm prepared to go do speed optimizations. 
So I do another speed up test that's more official than what I had done before, and it's very clear that the code that's not involved in the API got 10x faster. It hugely faster, removed a lot of junk copies, removed a lot of conversion from protobuf to, to Java objects to drop on the floor to reconvert, 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 whatever. Cleaned up a lot, a lot simpler, a lot faster, but almost for not. Because the API call as itself is amazingly slow, and it's not part of the project I'm interfacing to it. There is a report of how fast I'm supposed to be, but the API call is hugely too slow for this job. So I report it to the appropriate management layer that it's slow. That you know, it's it's obviously 10x too slow for their business purposes. It's really 100x too slow because 10x will only get them to their existing customer base. But this is their future go forward project. They want to have another 10x available. They got 100x speed up they need to get. And they have to go after the person who owns that side of that project and say, hey, you need to fix up your piece. So my job here was simply to report. I cannot meet the goals I've been given because the piece I'm relying on is not meeting the goals I was told that it was meeting. And, and so there's a fail there. And so there's no attempts at further speedups. In fact, this code is not hot and, and uh, only was slightly hot. Before, it added like 10% to the overhead of what was the API call slowness. That 10% has vanished. Um, the API call is now 95% of the total project runtime. Um, bottleneck is elsewhere. All I want out of this code now is clarity, and I got it. I got a 4x reduction in code size. I got a very clear, you know, the name changes, makes it clear we're talking about nanos, inclusive versus exclusive. The dedupe code has, you know, all those 50 lines, like 10% of them are the dedupe comments explaining what this little stupid loop does and why it exists at all, and that there's an API bug, and there's a test, there's a one-line test that throws if you hit the API bug. And the code is just, in general, hugely simpler and hugely more obvious how it works. So tech debt elimination, successful. Speed up was kind of successful. The code I hacked on got a lot faster. The main bottleneck was elsewhere. Um, and that again is you know pretty common. It happens. You report it and you move on. You know, not your problem anymore until somebody comes back to you and says, go speed up that code. Now, if I get told to go speed up that code, I will, and, and that'll happen at that point in time. So um Ah, I, my, my kids asked me to come get them from uh, from their from their project. I need to go run. Uh, so you know, may all your tech debt elimination phases be successful. Thanks. Bye bye.